Thank you for joining the Club of Books podcast for its exciting week two, where we will be diving into chapters two and three of Stephen King's The Salem's Lot. Please enjoy. Thank you for joining us for another rousing dive into Stephen King's Salem's Lot. This week we went over chapters two and three. I'm Hunter. Hey, no one else joined in. Um, I am joined by some other people here. We have uh, we have Corinthe from last week. <coughs> uh, sorry, we are still going through some kinks. This is uh, this is a beginner podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I do appreciate you joining us. Um, I'm your host, terrible as I may be. I'm joined by my fellow yeah. hosts. Go ahead, someone. Hi, I'm Shane. Wasn't here last podcast, but I'm joining on this one. I'm Stacy. I'm back for the second time. I'm Mark. <laughs> well, I'm Corrente. Hi. Corrente <laughs> is the artist previously known as Alex that uh, was seen on episode one of Salem's Lot. <clears throat> I'm the Stephen King nerd. Yes. <laughs> um. However, my role. <laughs> uh, chapter two did not, at least to my knowledge, start off with any um, cool introduction that chapters one did of like uh, we had ha Haunting on Hill House um, that sort of set the theme, I believe, in all honesty so far for the book, because as a viewer of that show, which is on Netflix, <laughs> it it's sort of following along those same tones. Um, but to give everyone a quick synopsis of chapters two and three, chapters two, we had the date of Ben Marston and, or not Ben Marston, Ben Mears and there you go. <laughs> Susan, and sort of a history of at least those two characters and what they went through in their time of Salem's Lot. And then in chapter three, we got introduced to a plethora of characters, as well as a day in the life of what Salem's Lot is, pretty much. The lot. Yeah, the lot. Uh, overall, my favorite chapter uh, of our reading this week was chapter three. What about you, Corinthe? It was three. Uh, and... Shane, actually, before we started on the cast, said, I warned everyone King's going to throw a lot of characters at us real soon. And he did. Uh, and Stephen King, at his best, in my opinion, is when he's frantic. And it's just, it's bouncing all over the place. It matches his climaxes really well, because it, it'll just be a thousand strands of string finally coming together to show you what the message is. And this is the, now we have our dozens and dozens of strings that are all going to be going towards the final goal of the book, which is my favorite aspect of King. What about you, Shane? Um, as a new host here with us, what were your views on, I guess, one, the prologue and chapter one, and also go ahead and cap catch us on what you thought of chapters two and three. What was your favorite one? Well, I want to preface and say I am not as much as a reader as all you guys, so I appreciate you um, offering me this spot on the podcast. And 
Yeah, so excuse me if my reading comprehension skills are a little slower. But um, I love the the picture he's painting and all the characters coming together. It's just not what I'm used to. And uh, it is a lot, but I thought chapter three was super awesome the way it just went through the whole day, each uh, time period and stuff. Um, just giving you multiple visuals in your head as the whole day goes along. It really creates the whole um, town, which is pretty awesome. I enjoyed that as well, Shane. Mark, what about you? Yeah. Um, did you hear Stacy on that last one? Mm -hmm. Yes, we yeah. did. Okay, I'm just making sure I'm making because I'm talking through hers. So, um, I actually got confused on chapter three. I'll be quite honest. I didn't have that little piece of paper next to me writing down all the characters. Um, so I'm going to have to re-listen to chapter three. Um, but thanks for the schmoo. Um, schmoop. Schmoop. Uh, that actually helped a little bit because that started making things go together for me. Yeah, not to overrun you here, but uh, for our listenership, um, I found a great, as I was trying to find a way to sort of sum up these chapters, especially chapter three, because it was a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I went to the website schmoop.com and it was just pretty much gave me everything I wanted. <laughs> so if you're looking for a good synopsis or a, Hey, do I really want to read Salem's lot? This gives you a good sort of chopped up. Here it is to you. All the good snippets, what's going on. So that way you can kind of see, is this the book I want to read or, Hey, I read it earlier in the week. I'm listening to the podcast on Friday, but I kind of want to catch myself up. Don't want to reread the whole thing. There you go. To dive us into chapters two, what was everyone thinking that they were going to get? Because last week I had the questions that everyone was asking. Let's see if I can get to those. Well, I thought, because Corinthe had kind of warned us, too, that we were going to very shortly be introduced to something uh, I think evil was the word you used or whatever. I thought the antagonist. Maybe, yeah, I thought, well, maybe Susan might be our antagonist. And I kept looking for clues in his words that might lead me that way, but um, not sure I found anything quite yet. I'm, I'm still not really putting my finger on her quite yet. Like, is she is she something menacing that she's kind of leading him on and will come to reveal herself as, you know. You're paranoid. <laughs> I am. I'm just, I'm going everywhere with this book. I'm, I'm enjoying the way he writes because he has so many strings coming in. Did it's you pick on? Like, I, I know I've read books like that in the past where it does all come together and it's like, so exciting so i'm excited did you pick up on the creepiness of like ben though like at the beginning that was it was pretty creepy like at least for me like i was pretty like like hey man like i'm an author i see you're reading my book and he signs it with a mechanical pencil i think i don't think he was looking forward to signing autographs in the park that day and he probably feels, you know, 
a little awkward going up sometimes where he is the author of that book, so he doesn't want to go up all confident. And be like, yeah, it's me. He's also so might come think about it. Uh, and if you just jump forward to the chapter three, he shows up, jeans, white shirt, really. This guy is not a flamboyant guy. See, but that's where I kind of took us. So when he said white shirt, well, we'll talk about that in chapter three, actually. Let's keep on talking about chapters two. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> did anyone form? Did anyone get any of their questions answered in it? Because I know, uh, Stacey, you were talking about how you were looking for Susan to be this this antagonistic force in the book. Um, did any of the other things that pop up in chapter two maybe give you hints to that, but didn't lead to Susan? Or I. Yes, yes. I did get waves of things that made me feel like, oh my gosh, well, that character is going to go, you know, be part of like the real estate guy. Um, I'm sorry, I can't remember. We're going out of chapter two again, Larry. though. Huh? Larry, the real estate guy. Yeah, Larry. I kind of feel like, you know, he's going to be a pawn in the evil. You know, he's just kind of signed on for what's going to happen. He's just on for the ride now. He's but that was I'm trying to find a way to say that. Yeah, but that's in chapter three again. Yeah. And, uh, Sorry. I, I had something for chapter three, so I. <laughs> no, you, you guys are fine. I mean, we might be changing up the format too, so it, I guess if we kind of want to bleed into that with question-wise, I understand. Um, but something that I picked up in chapter two about that was <clears throat> Ben revealed sort of what his books were about in chapters two, and it. I think that gives context to what happened to Ben in Salem's Lot a lot because she she said like, oh, I can't believe someone that saw a dead body hanging in the attic could write these books so full of life. But like when she actually well, described she, these books, it was she doesn't a, believe that she saw that he she didn't believe that he saw the right. body. Yeah, and I guess one of her facts that she was bringing up for that maybe was the books that he had written, like. How could someone like that write these books? But I believe one of the books was about a convict that gets taken back. And in- one of the books was. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, one of the books is about a convict that breaks out, starts his own life, but then is reincarcerated. And there is a, per Susan in chapter two, a graphic rape scene in the shower, which um, isn't happy. Not a happy book. <laughs> And that's kind of what I'm saying is like I think more of those books actually give context to what happened to Ben. And there's more darkness to him than we have been revealed to. There's more to him than meets the eye. Well, there's more to Salem's Lot that meets the the eye. (laughs) Yeah, I would say so. And Chapter 3 kind of revealed that once we got a, a deeper dive into all of them. Uh, well, not even not even about the town. Think about the Marston house. But yeah, yeah, very, mm-hmm. very true. Seebs, what did you think of chapter two? Um, I will not lie. It was uh, very difficult for me to. I mean, it was easier for me to follow chapter two than it was chapter three because a lot of it was focused on Ben and his girlfriend and the dad. Um, right. so that was like, it was very interesting, and I think honestly, Ben's gonna be the character that's basically a lot of this is centered around because for whatever reason it seems like he's the character that everyone's suspicious about or he's the character that people aren't suspicious about too like the dad is completely like 
dumbfounded by that um overall so i don't know i think it was a good chapter um but definitely still a little bit too confusing for me it's kind of like i'm too close up on a picasso gotcha some of the things that i was taken back by was from chapter two was when did boarding houses start being hotels and mind their own business like it was sort more of people, weird more city more turnover that's the difference like i didn't understand you're not, you're not gonna get boarding houses in a city but a small and and ask take nowhere yeah you're gonna have boarding houses well i mean i guess i should definitely know this because him bringing up dates is a huge thing in this book but when is the time in this story taking place isn't it the 1970s 60s around then yeah so boarding houses were the, still a thing back then i'm not sure that's the, the marston stuff which we haven't covered but that was in the um uh that was in the 40s after the world war ii because they were talking about hitler yeah they talked and about that a lot <laughs> she was yeah i believe because susan's what 18 20 because she's out yeah. of college and i jotted i jotted I, she was born in 51 so yeah this is the 70s uh -huh. she went through college yeah so i guess that's what i, I was just that. like i mean in all the other media that i've seen of the 70s. I guess maybe the most recent one I could say did have a boarding house in it. Umbrella Academy Season 2. Um, one of the main characters was in a boarding house. So I guess maybe I'll bite my tongue there. But it was just a, a rarity that popped up for me of like, wow. A good way to use your time period. And then also, like, that kind of expanded the story too. Of like, hey, I can't invite you into my room, but I have some sodas and some Bacardi. Like nightcap, and that I just thought that was interesting. You got to remember, this is also a very small town of like thirteen hundred well, like people. A bed and breakfast. Yeah, I guess you're right. A bed and yeah, I I mean, but I've never. I guess I'm not cultured enough to stay at a bed and breakfast yet. Uh, I'll get there one of these days. <laughs> um, personal typing level one. Maybe I went through that in elementary school and we just called that computer lab, but uh, like, this is for Mark and Stacy more so. Did, did either of you take personal typing level one? What, like, yes, I did. I did. Shit, you did. It didn't? was an option. But I didn't take it until high school, Hunter. I was like a junior in high school oh, I was when I took school. it. I was in middle school. Yeah, I was in middle school. Was it hard? Was it easy? Yeah, like, well, you didn't well, have a typing you class? Guys. No, that's what I'm saying. In computer it lab in elementary school, me. we had typing class. What did it consist of? Um, I'll hop back to Stacy, but uh, for me, it was pretty much we had to cover our keyboards with some orange plastic mat so we couldn't see the keys. And then we were pretty much just playing a bunch of different mini games of like, Type out this whole sentence. Learn sentence structure. All right. Yeah, now that actually similar. during the like class, you had to type out like letters to the teacher to show that you learned everything that was covered that week in the games. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Well, you had uh, computers, printers, all that stuff. We had. I had in my typing one class um, typewriters. Right. So, you know, we learned how to forward and reverse and roll and uh, 
blot out and change things on the typewriter manually that you can do with a click of a button. I have a question you know, so for it's you. A lot more involved, I think, in the learning process. In those classes, did any of your classmates ever ask the teacher, why do we have to learn this? It's not like I'll use this in my day-to-day -day life. And they There's said, yes, you that will. Person, Hunter. Always that person exists. That's me right now. <laughs> oh, man. I will never, ever use algebra. What are you talking about? Um, I guess this is more so a question for <laughs> the rest of the cast other than Shane, because he said he's not that much of an avid reader, but maybe he still read a book or two, which I believe he has. Um, that's no, that's completely right. <laughs> <laughs> a book or two. Um, has anyone else ever noticed that somehow authors always shoehorn in a snow globe into their story? Like, I don't... Maybe I'm just weird here but like for some reason i always see snow globes whenever like storytelling comes into it it's what keeps the business in in check otherwise <laughs> no one would ever want a snow globe that's a deep web conspiracy theory right there <laughs> they're magical they lend they lend to something um kept in time and precious and uh innocent if you will Look, man, it was the 70s. There was no Netflix. You got high and you stared at a snow globe. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, yeah. And you typed yeah. on your typewriter. <laughs> you learned how to do reverses and stuff manually. Oh, it was a simpler time. You ripped open beer cans. I don't even know if those are the correct terms anymore because I never became proficient. I'm still a, a chicken pecker. Oh dang! Is that was that the derogatory term that your teacher used? You're gonna grow up to be a chicken pecker. No, my teacher was my teacher was awesome. She was one of the best teachers. Her name was Aggie Black, and she had the most beautiful nails. And I loved to watch her type, but did I didn't like it? doing it myself. Did you chicken pecking is two fingers. Yep. No, we called her Miss Black. Hmm. Aggie, that's an interesting name. <laughs> Yep. She was she's, interesting. She's pretty suspicious. She, Maybe she's the vampire. She'd be a great character in a book, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it seems like it. <laughs> well, on to the, I feel like, the whole cast of this book, actually, in Chapter 3. And, I, and more so my favorite chapter, so the chapter that we get to talk about now. Uh, before we dive into it, I'm going to go through everyone that we get introduced to here. And go ahead, feel free to chime in if I missed anyone. Um, we got, we start off with Hal Griffin, who's an 18 year old boy who works at, uh, the milk farm. Then we will hop to Erwin Purrington, the milkman who delivers said milk from the milk farm. We got Eva Miller, who is the boarding house owner. We got Sandy McDougal, who, uh, is someone I hate personally. And I'm sure most of you will if you're reading the book and here listen to this podcast. Uh, she is known for for me for beating her baby. We have Charlie Rhodes, the bus driver. Ed Craig, which I think is a weird name. Um, the drunk living with Eva and does most of her menial tasks. We have Mark Weasel. <laughs> yeah, more so the Weasel. Yeah, and that's his nickname too. Mark Petier. And I think I'm Petrie. mispronouncing that. Petrie? Yeah, my bad. Petrie. 
Petrie. Pitier. <laughs> Pitier. Pitier. It's very French. It's very French. I love it. The reading um, versus the audible. Yeah, it could be right, Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I uh, I did listen. Um, I listened to chapter two, but I did read chapter three. So maybe I, I apologize. I did not get the pronunciation right on most of these. Um, however, Mark uh, starts getting <laughs> bullied, but ends up beating the bully, which I really want to dive into. Um, Dud Rogers shooting rats and setting fires. He's another one of my people that will. I hate forever. Uh, I had a pet rat named Charles, uh, R.I.P. Charles. Lawrence Crockett, the real estate agent who sold Larry. the Marston house. Bonnie Sawyer. And not only that, but he sold the old laundromat in town. Oh, yes. He got my, played. He got played. My apologies. No, that guy made bank. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Keep going, Hunter. <laughs> Bonnie Sawyer. We're gonna have to go. We're gonna have to go to the top of this and break down each one of these because there's oh, a lot. Oh, that's the plan. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like the the chunk of it. Um, Bonnie Sawyer, the cheating wife. Matthew Burke, the English teacher. Um, also not the greatest, in my opinion, for role models. Um, Floyd Tibbetts getting drunk at Dell's. Also not the greatest of role models. Danny and Ralph Glick. Mabel Wirtz. The Gossip. And Shadowy Figure. I feel like you, um, we missed the cemetery in that, too. That was the Shadowy Figure. No, there was the... Uh, that happened earlier, though, the cemetery. Yeah. There's the guy that works. Who's the guy that works in the cemetery? That, that might have that might have been chapter two, Hunter. But in chapter two, the gentleman doing the um, yeah, that was chapter three. Ca- caretaking found the dead dog. Yes, I missed that. I believe. Or wasn't it, that Mike, Floyd? Uh, Mike Ryerson. 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 Okay. Ned. Ned. Mike. Ned Ryerson. <laughs> 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 Oh man, <laughs> that's a Groundhog Day, Groundhog, Groundhog Day reference to those of you out there. Uh, okay, chapter we three. <laughs> We're gonna dive in with Hal Griffin, the eighteen-year-old boy. I didn't really care so much for him. Uh, he seemed like a normal eighteen-year-old boy. I hate school. I hate I hate everything. Anyone else feel anything for this guy? Basic introduction. Basic uh, basic introduction to a character. Yeah, but I would say more so in this chapter, it's mostly basic introduction. There are some basic introductions that I felt a lot more uh, akin to, I would say. No, like I was like, I like this person. Yeah, I mean... There's a lot of people I hated. Standard... standard 18-year-old kind of kid. With a younger brother, Jack, who he has issues with because of, I don't know, whatever kind of attention he gets from his parents on their abilities. and. One's a bookworm, one's the kind of jockey kind of dullard. Yeah. But a very good worker. I hate school. Well, 
<laughs> well, he might not be a great worker, but if Papa comes down with the belt and says, go milk the cows, he's going to two-step it down to the barn. He'll get it right. I did get okay. it in tense first impression with a lot of these characters um and that's something that i maybe come to realize a lot with adult fiction there's a lot of rough parts in this chapter um did anyone else feel that way or is i mean for someone I, i feel like i read a lot of more youth fiction i think the only adult fiction i have read so far is maybe the expanse um and the uh, the Witcher series, but yeah, I think. Go ahead. I I think the as a a new reader once again, <laughs> I think the power of books is some of these gruesome scenes, like the baby scene, it it leaves your imagination to just paint the whole picture for you, and that can go wrong sometimes. <laughs> I agree, Shane. Like gets into your head it's kind of in your schema then and you can't it's like you You know whereas whereas movies and stuff you're seeing what's there that they put on the screen but this one kind of leaves it up to your imagination to fill in the rest of it so it's interesting though i like it and a lot of these characters are going to be minor characters obviously i think some of them their job is legitimately just to paint the town we have a milkman. He knows everyone on a first name basis. We have a bus driver. He's a douchebag, but he's <laughs> like connected with the other people around him. Like we're starting to understand that this is a very small, private, connected town where everyone knows each other. And last chapter we were introduced to the cops, the constable, you know? So no one is safe. Like, no, not 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 that no one's safe, but no one has skeletons in their closet in this town. And that's even what that Mabel lady, as the town spider and the town gossip, she knows everything. She hears everything. Well, that was going to lead Wouldn't me into my her next. Counter counterpart is more uh, is that guy that um, sits on the stoop with his palm malls and stoop kid. Is he the constable? He's a constable. Okay. He seems to know everything too just by sitting there. That was going to lead me into my next question pretty much. Uh, I, I guess uh, maybe if you want to answer Stacy too, but I, I wanted to ask everyone is out of all these characters, because we got introduced to a lot, do we think any of them are going to be staying? Or are these, as Corrente said, just helping flush out this town so we get a better picture of what it is and what's actually going on? And I mean, in all honesty, not to bring up Twin Peaks again, as the first episode of Twin Peaks, like it paints a very beautiful picture of like, oh, I kind of want to live in that quiet mountain town where the one bad thing finally, like not finally happened, but a girl got murdered. And then finally, as you get deeper into these characters' lives and their stories, it's like this town actually is sort of rotten to the core or is getting rotten to the core. Uh, And that gets revealed a lot in this one, too. So uh, I think more the latter of what you said that we're just getting that big picture of everything that's going to go into the pot here. I think really the only character that we're going to get to stay is Mark in all honesty. Maybe some of the the other boys too that we were mentioned uh, like Danny and uh, 
Danny Glick and Hal Griffin. Could be. Hmm. So some of the Dude, big things. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. That that's that's the danger of King, man. It just you don't know who's important yet. You don't know what is going on. Like we'll go through each like hunt, and I'm I'm just shutting up because I know what's going to be going on. But you really don't have a clue at this point of who's going to play a role in what. Like we still don't know from the introduction and the prologue who the man and the boy is. You can guess. We have still no definitive proof. And we will, and I mean, that was going to be one of my ending questions, is, so hopefully we will be getting everyone's guesses here. Because um, at least, been for me, for me, I have a guess now, because I think we're actually, we're getting that age-old uh, Nolan time flip of the prologue was actually what happened afterwards. That's what I thought. Um... So I mean, hell, we can do it right now. I don't care. I just, uh, I just want to know. For me, I think the tall man is Ben Mears, and I think the boy is Mark. What did did anyone else start picking up on vibes of like people that they're like? Wait a minute! I feel like I've heard this type of speak before. I've this this narration seems familiar to me. Because, I mean, at least for me, when I was reading Chapter 1, it kind of bled in from the prologue of I'm going back to the town. Yep. And then, boom, the guy going down the road to the town and has issues with it. And we know uh-huh. the prologue character did, too, the tall man, and so did the little the, the boy. So, but it doesn't per se make sense yet because... Ben doesn't know any little boys. Hasn't gone on any cross country adventures that we know of with little with with boys. I'm sorry, I shouldn't be saying little boys. It's the boy. God, I don't know why I keep on saying the little boy. Remember, I Hunter, think he was that described that way. Remember, Hunter, that yeah, Mark is a good guess. We've also met two other small children. That's what I was thinking as well. It's like, all right, I think, all right, I've got, on, I've caught on to the first Nolan head flip. What's the next one? And I, maybe I shouldn't also, say Nolan head flip because this is a king and he's before Nolan. So we also don't know. Hell, who knows what the timeline or time frame of this? We've also met a baby. In true. This. Very, that could very be true. The boy. And it is a boy. And it is a boy. It's Randy. And I also and don't I'm not, know how I'm long. Not, and I'm not discrediting what you guys have said or your guesses. I'm just like, oh. Here's the other options. Does anyone else have any you guesses? You could be right. You could be wrong. I don't really want to guess anymore at this point. I just want to keep reading. <laughs> yeah, well, you're on a podcast, Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> there were rules and a contract sign. <laughs> I'm asking you a question straight up, but that's that's fine. We can we can keep on going in because there's honestly a lot of meat to chew in chapter three. And something that I really want to talk about, and once again, I'm making a huge assumption. I think we were introduced to the first uh, antagonist in Chapter 3. Um, I believe he went by the name of Mr. Straker? Yep. <sighs> yes. Yes. And I felt like I felt like King's description of Ben kind of resembled, or I got the same feeling feeling about his description as i did as miss 
of Mr. Stryker. Like there's almost a, a gangly, cold, ominous kind of feel to them, even though Ben is a little bit more human because they made him relatable to the girl in the park, you know, having the first date and stuff. But I felt like they were similar in stature and how I felt about their character. You got suspicious and hunter smelling around now, man. <laughs> remember that um, Straker, his time in the, you know, 15 minutes of fame in this chapter was not the same time as Ben being in town. That was a year before that they came, cut that deal. And now uh, Straker, while Ben and Susan have been canoodling and stuff, Straker has not been around that we know of at this point. Right, right. Okay. What did you guys think about the deal that he made? I mean, Shane mentioned something earlier that he thinks he kind of got took on it. And I mean, Crente mentioned that he kind of made a little bit more on the output of it because he, he made up for it. And I believe kind of the sales and everything of those properties. I was just a little taken back of how anti he was right away and then switched so quickly. I was holding him back from the get-go, I guess. When you say he, who do you mean he? Uh, Larry, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I think he was a, a bit taken, like, uh, taken aback. Like, what? This guy's, like, really joking, right? Like, a dollar? Like, not only Is does he want some to? of our, like, least profitable property... I mean, maybe the Marston house is sitting on profitable property, but, like, the house itself, I believe, isn't that great. Because they said the house price differently than the, the actual land that is, comes with it. Yeah, that's, yeah, what, that's the, what I'm saying. The yeah. total value of those two properties was was less than 20 grand. was yeah. shit less than 15 grand. And the, and the part that he had reservation, he was given the land deed and the right to own land that was about to sell for over $4 million. So while they cut a deal, Larry makes, you know, retirement money and these two schmucks get two rundown pieces of crap. It's one of those it's too good to be true scenarios. So if I was a businessman, absolutely well, I am. And I would absolutely go, This is bullshit. Where's the catch? Well that was counting on if the the antique store worked, right? I mean, is no, like I think regardless he would have gotten that money, right? Yeah, like why would you open an antique store when to make money if you have already a property that a mall exactly, is going to yeah. that's worth that much money? The guy realizes something's not right. It's going to be a front for something. He's not sure what, but he knows that there's something. He, I mean, he's even warned him. You know, it's one of his conditions. I don't, I don't want to uh, know anything about the illegal or crazy ass shit you're doing up there. Yeah. Cause that's like yeah. one, any sensible person would be like, yeah, this is, this is shady. Something ain't right here. I don't want to be associated with it. I'll get my money out of it, but I don't want to be associated with it. But then he's hooked line and sinker anyway. He's in on it now. And then he was threatened as well at the end somewhat by Straker, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Kind of. Kind of saying, 
I will uh, come after you if you spread the word about anything. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting, too, because they are in a small town and they do know that people in a small town know everything about everybody else. But evidently they don't. The two the two men don't care. We're going to find I think it's, out. It's more so they doesn't care. Like, obviously, they know, oh, there's a new business in town. Straker's name is attached to it. He just doesn't want him to sh to share the fact that he traded those two properties for you know generational wealth because that would drum up questions. Yeah. Like you want a, you want what for what? Are you insane? <laughs> yeah, that was as I said that was one of the more intense moments of the chapter for me because it was like as you just described, Corinthe, insane. And for me, as not a businessman, but someone in the business world, um, I didn't understand, per se, the, the background dealings that were going on. But I could understand from Larry's disposition that it was something, as he said, a once-in-a-lifetime deal that like you kind of wish for but should be reserved of. Some other characters... Well, yeah, he, he, oh, he go ahead. said, like, you need to talk to... I need to talk to my lawyer. I need to vet this. Yeah, and if this is vetted, then then I'll go through, but not until then, which is smart business. <laughs> Some yeah, of the I do other like how he manned up and said, "I have two conditions as well." He wasn't <laughs> totally bullied, which I did think was kind of peculiar for that. At least for me, I believe Mr. Straker's the first antagonists and I know as the anta the antagonists in the books are vampires so I believe he's the first vampire or going to be the first one in dealings with vampires I think also the way he was described as total blue vampire <laughs> there it is <laughs> and there it is <laughs> so did we want to go back to like the little synopsises of each of the people along the way or what are, are we I think right we now we're just going to be hopping about around about the things that we want to talk about in chapter 3 and I think in all honesty going forward when we have our readings um, so right now for chapters 4 and 5 next week we're just going to go over what we read I think the highlights of what we noticed um, and I think that I think that'll be a lot more pleasurable for our listeners too, instead of us hopping around trying to make sure we we knock out everything. And this way, we just talk about like, hey, this is what I found interesting about the book. I, th I think that's the better thing. Um, so, is there something that you did find very interesting about chapter three that you think we missed? Uh, I want to say one small detail that was kind of funny is when um, the bully was getting beat up by Mark, and it said. He forgot about the camels he's going to smoke with his dad, or like his dad, when he was on the ground getting uh, his arm bent around or whatever. Mm -hmm. That was going to be one of the moments I brought up, actually, before the end, because um, I wanted to ask you guys who had the better insult, uh, hairy root sucking or big, clumsy, stupid turd? My <laughs> vote's on big, clumsy, stupid turd, because it's got more adjectives. I agree. I like the other one because um, I've never heard it before. What's an unclumsy turd? That's what I want to know. 
<laughs> well, what is a clumsy turd, dude? Is that like a turd that doesn't uh, think, know how to I be a turd? Turds, I think most turds would be clumsy, though, right? One would assume that an inanimate object is inherently <coughs> clumsy. Things Can it be will... clumsy? <laughs> Things will never know. I, but Are your turds clumsy? I'm happy you brought that up, Stacy, because I was going to ask you and Mark was, is Harry Root sucking, was that a was that a known, like, hey man, you you suck dicks joke back then? And I also no, noticed a lot. Was I thought it was quite a creative way to say that you suck dicks. I mean, I had never heard it put in those words before. Uh, but yeah, I was I like, this is creative as well. But I feel like it's it's so, you know, oh that makes sense. Someone had to have thought of it before. And I mean, that was going to be something else I asked you guys, because the language of the book, and I don't know, because what Corrente said in last week's episode was that these characters that we're going to be introduced to and characters that King writes are characters that you don't like. You you don't like a lot of his characters. So are their languages fitting with the times that the book's set in? Or is King trying to shape a personality of someone that you shouldn't <coughs> like when he uses certain words with them? Hmm. Yeah, I was wondering that as well because, like, he was the the verbiage of the book is definitely not in 2020 for sure. So it's like, is he is this to be derogatory? Like, is he saying uh, words like, uh, you know, uh, what's I guess what's the big one? I guess faggot's the big one for mm-hmm. me. When he says that, I was like, whoa, I was like, that's intense. But I wasn't sure if he was trying to be derogatory, if that person was actually gay or like if it was a describing factor for that person or, you know, what it was. I think it was a way for a bully to just label somebody. Right. And in the 70s, you didn't label. You didn't say someone was gay. You just say faggot. And um, Hunter, last week, what I said wasn't necessarily that King just writes characters that you hate. He does that. King writes characters that you can... I know that person. I've spent time with that person. I had a childhood where I like knew that person. Who didn't have a bully? Who didn't have a school bus driver that was a jackass? Like, who didn't have a kindly uh, English teacher? Who didn't have, like someone in their life that they knew that person's a gossip and you know kind of a pain in the ass like Mm -hmm. king and an abusive trailer like go through all of them an abusive trailer park you know teenage pregnant mom a adulting adulterer you know that is having an affair with uh, behind her husband's back like these are the characters that king fills his worlds with and then you start being able to associate those characters, good, bad, or indifferently, with people that you know. And I gotta I say, get the dude, feeling oh. too, like I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. Like that mirrors as the as the representation of the writer in the book seems to draw a lot of um, similarities to King. I I mean, obviously it would. I would I would assume. Um, it's hard to remove your own um, experiences from your writing, but I feel like, you know, he's looking around the town, Mirrors is looking around the town um, at the end of, I think, around 
chapter two, where they're still sitting, um, drinking their um, malts. He and is it Lucy? Is that her Susan. name? Susan. 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 Where they're sitting there and uh, drinking, and he's looking around at all the different characters after she's found out that he's going to write a book while he's there. You get the feeling like, yeah, he's gathering information with these people that he's seeing right now. And I feel like that's, you know, kind of the way. Yeah, I don't know if meta would be the description, but I very, I, I agree with you a lot, Stacey, in, in the fact that, and I felt like this too when I was reading the prologue, I was like, wait, and I think Alex mentioned this too in episode one, was, am I reading about Stephen King here or is this the prologue? Because, like, it's about an author. And Ben Mears is an mm. author, too. Even when he describes his beady eyes, I think, okay, he's talking about himself. Jeez, King man, likes... hating on King there. Well, he does have beady, weird, creepy eyes. He, he does have beady. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's a creep. Well, aren't well, we just a podcast of bullies? Jeez. We need we the need man, a markup in knows, here. Look, <laughs> Make man, us eat the some man dirt. knows he's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> That's where he makes his money. He's good with that. No, he likes to insert himself into stories. Not himself directly, but he definitely... I can think of a few stories where there's a writer in it as, you know, a well, key they, character. They say write what you know. Another thing that kind of brought me up... Uh, not up to date, that was a dumb way to say it, but uh, perked my ears up, was um, the person reading Satan's Sex Slaves book. And I'm trying to remember exactly who it was. I want to say it was Larry, but I don't think it was. It was the guy that was on his way to eat. Um, Yeah, I think you're right. However, it just, it was another interesting thing that they bring up because the way that chapter three ended was someone performing some form of dark magic, I would say. Um, Something was happening. Some shadow, I mean, if you want to jump into that now, we should probably talk, it was the two kids were going over to Mark's house to read horror horror books. And all of a sudden... They feel a presence, and it descends on them, and it ends. The last chapter or the last section is about some kind of figure with a child. And it doesn't say if it's one of the Glicks, but that's not normal. Something like something ominous is happening. Well, and that's that's what I really wonder too. And thank you for bringing that up. Is the 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 child figure? Is that an actual? living child or like is it a totem uh, i assume it's probably a child but does anyone else was anyone else wondering that i'm not sure because i'm not sure what you're trying to say at the at the, the end last... of chapter three you about mark no at nope. the end of chapter three there's a there's a shadowy figure in the graveyard and he oh, says okay. some some mumbo jumbo pretty much i have this flesh here, take it in sacrifice. What do you have for me? And in response, he's given a childlike figure and an answer of, I have this. I think you got that backwards. I think the shadowy figure is asking what he's going to get for the child figure. 
I think whatever the shadowy figure is, he is the one doing this, some kind of sacrifice or some kind of offering to some kind of force that we don't know what it is yet. Was it the dog? What happened with the dog? Mr. Wynn, Puritan's the, dog. The dog's just dead. Dog was spiked on the um, wrought iron fence. That dog is good. That dog is dead. Oh yes, you're well, right. Coming out that I did. I didn't get the last few little parts of that chapter because I'm thinking, is that the flesh that they're offering up? <laughs> is the dead dog? R.I.P. Doc. I was really upset when <laughs> I got to that. Like there was, as I brought up earlier, there's a lot of parts in chapter three where I was. I was taken aback from, um, it just, I didn't, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping whoever hurt Doc gets their comeuppets. That's what I, that's what I'm rooting for in this book. And you're not, you, Stacey, you might not be wrong. Like, don't let that, um, confusion derail your chain of thought. Why was the dog murdered? Was that another type of sacrifice to something or was something happening that the dog could have gotten? some force and trouble. Ah. I'm excited to find out. So, before I go ahead and start wrapping us up here, guys, was there anything in Chapter 3 that I, I've missed for us that we want to go over? Um, I was going to say something about the character of um, the dump guy. Is it Dud? Yeah, Dud Rogers. And I know you you mentioned Hunter that you didn't like him because of your former uh, pet yeah. rat uh, pet, but the the life that he describes for himself and the the um, happiness that he finds in it, the solitude and the uh, all of his activities, I found very um, I don't know if refreshing is the word because we're talking about a guy who basically lives in a dump. So refreshing isn't <clears throat> a very good descriptor, but I found him very interesting and comforting that he had found his peace, I guess. He's happy with his life. I guess through that lens, I definitely agree with you. And when he was describing everything up until the shooting of rats and needing to get different... um different levels of not gauges um bullets ammunition bullets, yeah bu- different <laughs> sizes of ammunition thank you corinthe <sighs> I, I, that's when i really was like you know f this guy like i get pest control i'm not against that it, it's uh seeking to cause pain like i'm not even against hunting it's literally seeking to cause pain no, that I, i'm not for. A, uh, dud i found to be and i still find spiteful angry, uh, very um, a broken character for right or wrong because he's, you know, had his mouth, he's got his deformities, but the way he's talking about other characters, he's calling them faggots, he's calling them whores, he's, he's really going deep on them, and he just, to derive pleasure, light the trash on fire and blow away rats, like... This guy might be happy with his life and he's content with certain small things, but I he's think disturbed. he's a he's a <laughs> highly disturbed individual. So he's uh he's peaceful in his ignorance. 
don't, I don't even know if peaceful is a thing. Dud, Dud is a very, um, doesn't visit, visit the library a lot. You could say he's a, vi- he's a visceral character to the story and he's, uh, I, I don't want to say anything bad, but Dud is one of those characters that can have an impact just with how twisted he is, because look at the rest of the town and we didn't cover it a lot. But the Marston House definitely has some evil to it. I was sort of um, getting traps, uh, pigeon lady vibes off of him a little bit as I was reading this chapter, yeah. as as to refer to Home Alone Two. Um, a lot of like the the homeless bum that actually cares a lot for the people, but gets shunned a hell of a lot by the town, and therefore can make someone that's comes with a very hard exterior. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot at work in this town that um, we don't see yet when it comes to the evil of it. I mean, Ben Mears claims he saw a ghost hanging in the Marston house. It could be, it could be crap, but there's something going on with that house that everyone doesn't like. Yeah, that is something feel, that was, yeah. Go ahead, Stace. I was just going to say, I feel like there's so much that nobody's saying. Like, it's there, it's hanging, but you're just not getting it. That's what I'm, and as I was saying in episode one, there's a lot in these these chapters, and that's why I'm going to go back through and listen to chapters two and three now, as I go through with three and four. Because I think there's a lot of things that I miss that actually reveal what's going on. Like, why are... He brings up time a lot in this story. And that's probably so we get, like, a... a, a to describe it, maybe, for me, and to hopefully the layman, a whiteboard uh, time frame of this is when the murder happened and where everyone was and what they were doing today sort of thing. Um... I think there's a lot going on in the background that I didn't pick up on in my first read. Or it could all just be bullshit. Yeah, that too. Or it could just be him trying to weave a beautiful web of a story. <clears throat> Mark, Alex, Shane, uh, is there anything that you guys wanted to talk about that maybe we missed? Uh, no, I'm just excited to get more into it and uh, flush out the story and the characters a little bit more. That the same for you, Shane? Ditto, ditto, ditto to that. Mark? Well, I'm, I'm behind the speaker, so I was trying not to talk for an echo, but um, I, I I really see that I'm going to have to re-listen to three going into four because I agree with you, Hunter. There, there's some things that he's weaving that every chapter you get another little nugget. And if you don't watch it, by the way, we're breaking up the chapters. We might miss it ourselves. Yeah. Going forward, does anyone have any predictions that they want to share with the group and the listeners? I myself, I think we're going to, at least me personally, I think I'm going to get revealed who really is the tall boy and the to- uh, the boy. Um, the, the tall boy, shit. The tall man and the boy. Um, I also think we're going to get a another deep dive into the town and what's going on. I think we're also going to get a huge reveal of antagonistic um, intent and plot. 
Shane, do you have a prediction for next week? Maybe some altercations with Floyd and Ben. Hmm. Yeah, we didn't cover that Let's romantic say... aspect of the book. I was completely like sort of dodging that. Not dodging it, but I kind of like that was, you know, especially how they ended chapter three, completely forgot about how Floyd might be devastated that his girl's getting picked up on by some out of towner. Well, wasn't there a small detail when she mentioned Floyd and I think it said something where Ben almost seemed a little bit jealous just from hearing her mention that name and said something about him like, oh, I was with him in the past. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Yeah, she said no, they you're, dated. you're right. They had dated, and it kind of said Ben was showed a little hint of jealousy in his voice, or tried to cover it up. Floyd was one of Ben's running mates for that time, four years in the lot, which puts Floyd um, around. I'm, I'm assuming that puts him around Ben's age. Um, yeah, no, that's a good prediction because. She's not as into Floyd as she was in the past. And her mom is really pressing her about it. Alex, did you have any predictions? Um, no. I'm uh I think I'm hoping that there's a little bit more around Ben because I want his character to be flushed out a little bit more. So I think we're going to find out a little bit more about him. And then uh I think we're going to go into a little bit more of the uh the mysterious figure that was offering up the meat. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, Corinta, I could sort of learn from episode one. I don't want to ask you uh, your <coughs> predictions, but I sort of want to ask, do you think we're on the right trail? Um, are we asking the right questions for someone who's an avid reader of King and also a uh, previous reader of this book? Yeah, I would say... Uh, you guys are... Uh, suspicious of multiple characters and you're starting to understand this is more this is more of a mystery in the first parts than most of his other kind of horror books um for example it do you know what's happening immediately the first chapter there's a death that we get visceral uh specific details about this story Salem's Lot is a little closer to The Shining, where I, even though there's less characters in The Shining, you don't necessarily know the threat yet. So, if you once you keep reading, you will start understanding. If not the threat itself, there are consequences happening soon. Okay. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this week's episode for us today, guys. I really appreciate everyone listening this far. Um, to the eight of you out there that are listening, I really appreciate you. Well, to wrap things up for this week, I'm your host, Hunter. I appreciate you once again for listening in. Next week, we will be going over chapters four and five. Hope to see you there.